Canoe Creek. Welcome, welcome back to our time of worship. Welcome to those who are joining us on the live stream as well. Uh, we gather every Sunday. Our desire is that through the songs that we sing to praise God, through the prayers that we have together to praise God, through opening up His Scripture and listening and opening our hearts to it, all of these things are an action of praising God and doing it in the presence of His church. Um, we believe without a doubt that it, it has the power to begin to form and shape us to become the kind of people who share Jesus with their world, and uh, which is a core part of who we are and what our vision is. And so, uh, we in, invite you to engage in that. And some of the things that I want to share with you this morning, just some opportunities coming up or certainly ways to do that. Um, we've been doing a survey, and so many of you have engaged in it. We appreciate all the responses. It's been awesome. You can scan this QR code on the screen behind me, or it's in the bulletin, which makes it a whole lot easier, right? Uh, by doing this survey, it takes about five to ten minutes. It can really help our leadership. We're making some decisions about the future. And as I've been sharing with you guys since the beginning of this year, we'll be sharing with you all a five-year vision next year, and we're excited about that. And so we're trying to make the wisest and smartest decisions we can. And the survey is completely anonymous, but gives us some of that input. So if you haven't done it yet, we're going to still have that up for a few weeks. Uh, please jump in there and, and take part in that. It'll be helpful to us. The other thing I want to share with you as well is if you got your bulletin on the way in, uh, there was this insert in there. If you didn't get one on the way in, uh, grab one on your, the way out, please. This insert is going to inform you that we are changing over our app. So if you use the church app or you want to use the church app, um, this is going to be the new app we're going to use. There's two main reasons why we're moving. One is it's cost effective. It makes a lot more sense financially, and as we've been working on the budget for next year, we realize, hey, we could save money if we do this. The other reason is it puts so much more of our content right in one space, so it's a whole lot easier to get information out to you about ways in which you can be connected. And so if you're church savvy, obviously you can look at this and do it in probably a minute or two. If you need help, there's this QR code here where you can scan it and watch a video on how to uh, download the app and then get set up on it as well, which also means that uh, how we give, if you give through the app or you give online, uh, that's going to change. And uh, that permanent change will happen the end of January. So we're just starting to talk about it now. So you'll have plenty of opportunities, but uh, opportunity to go ahead and get involved and get connected through our app as well. The last thing is a lot more excited. I'm excited about Christmas, guys. I'm excited to celebrate it with you. Uh, excited to have Mandy here on our Christmas Sunday, which is always our Sunday before. Christmas, but excited about our Christmas Eve as well. It's going to be at 4 o'clock and 5.30 this Friday evening. We have two services. I was so excited to hear one family said, yeah, we can come because of the earlier services, which is the reason why we put one of our services earlier, and we're excited to hear that that is working for some people and helpful. We have preschool and nursery available programming for both of those hours, our elementary age, our students, they'll all be in here with us because our service is short and to the point and encouraging and inspiring so that we can go out and celebrate with our family. But we still do need help. Uh, in the 4 o'clock hour, we need uh, four volunteers to work with our, our children, our preschool and nursery. We had three volunteer in the first service, which was helpful. And then in our 5.30 service for Christmas Eve, we need five volunteers. And so uh, if you're able to serve uh, this Christmas Eve, stop at our Next Steps booth in the back. Doug will be back there, and he can get some information from you. Um, it's, it's such a great opportunity. If you can just come from 4 through the 5.30 service, just come to one and serve in the other. 
And uh, that's why we always have the dual formats. It's not just to fit everybody in a room. It's so that we can provide the opportunity for a family who may only come to church on Christmas Eve for their little one to be loved on and cared for in the name of Christ while they're able to join with us here in the service as well. So uh, this church has grown to be what it is because of the faithful hearts that serve the mission here. So thank you. Uh, Listen, we've been looking at this Advent series and the last song we just sang is exceptional song for this morning, the idea of Jesus coming, and of course, the songs written from that perspective of Isaiah, as they look forward to and long the coming of Jesus, and he came, even when people were thinking, well, he's never going to show up, it's been years, I mean, it was over 700 years after Isaiah spoke those words, I think, or more, that Jesus actually showed up, but here's the beautiful thing, uh, we live on the other side of that. We get to see that first advent and understand it and know it now. But yet we're still also saying, come Jesus, come. We're looking forward to the next advent. And we live between these two worlds. And so what we've been talking about during the series is how do we live with hope? How do we live with joy? Uh, how do we live with peace and, and love as characteristics of our life in a world that can just suck that right out of us? And uh, we've been talking about that. We're going to continue talking about that this morning as well. And I want to invite you to jump with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. If you don't own a Bible, grab one of the ones off the rack in front of you. The easiest way to find the letter 2 Peter is to start from the right and move to the left. It's all the way tucked back in there near the end of the Bible. And uh, join in, reading along. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible and you need one, keep the ones on the rack in front of you. Take it home. Make it yours. I want to read this core verse that I believe is, is kind of the big idea for this entire section and talk about it for a minute. And then I want to read the context around it and put it into place, so to speak, and uh, make some observations from it, make some applications from it as well. So Second Peter chapter 3 <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 to begin with. This is what I think where it's all at in this verse, in this section. It says this, You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. What a great statement. There's really two simple things that are happening here. And, and before we look at the context that surrounds it, I just want to look at the simplicity of this statement. It basically tells us two things. We should live in such a way that we are building the kingdom of God around us. Jesus summed it up this way. When asked, hey, how do you sum up all the law, all the prophets, everything? He said, we should live lives that love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we should love our neighbor as ourselves. So he basically said, hey, Express love to God, and, and as you know God and love Him, it'll, it'll expand your love for the people around you in your life as well. And, and so this is the idea here. Live every day to expand, to build the kingdom of God. And live with an expectation uh, that today is a day in which the Lord can return. Because that is what we've been told and that is what we've been promised. And, and so Peter says, this is how we should ultimately live. Now, here's the mistake. This is the struggle, uh, I believe, that we have, and maybe sometimes it's, it's a bigger struggle in one culture versus another culture, but I think it's become a real great struggle within our Christian culture in America at times because we get a lot of 
preaching and teaching that is everything's great, everything's good, just show up. And we don't get the balance of the tension that really exists within the world and within Scripture. Uh, and, and there is. There's a significant tension that is there. Um, listen, this is what makes hope so encouraging and powerful because there's a lot of despair in the world that we live in. This is what makes joy so encouraging because there is a lot of hurt in the world that we live in. This is what makes peace so soothing. We realize this world that we live in between these two advents, it's chaotic at times. This is what makes love so essential because when we look at the world around us, we see that it's lacking in the world around us. And so, you know, it amplifies. We realize there's problems, there's issues, and the way to deal with that isn't to pretend or just push it away, but to embrace and understand it. Here's the mistake. The mistake we tend to make at Christmas time is to celebrate the crib without thinking about the brutal reality of the cross. And this is the struggle. And we just want to, hey, be excited. We have the crib on the stage like we do every year uh, during this time of the year. And we have the cross in the back of the room just like we do. And it's, it's kind of interesting. They're that far apart. This is almost sometimes we, we want to gravitate one way or the other. And, and this is the mistake during Christmas time. We're just going to celebrate this joyful thing without realizing why it's so joyful and what it means to, to me. When we try to think about the cross without the crib, we get heartache. When we try to think about the crib without the cross, we get fairy tales. Uh, the, the gospel crushes fundamentalism. It does not allow you to pick one little thing, one little sliver or something and champion it, whether it's politics or religion or something else. It, it takes everything in its scope and it presents everything to us. This is why in the, the previous message on joy, you know, I talked about how the world typically deals with despair or struggle. It tells us to pretend or it tells us just to swap those negative thoughts with positive thoughts. And it may be good for a second, right? But we live longer than a second and, and we have to endure and, and engage with what is going on. And this is what I love about reading scripture. People come to me sometimes with some of the best but hardest questions. And they get the worst answers when they say, well, what about this? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> you know, the, the reality about Scripture that I love is it doesn't sugarcoat things. Sometimes people are like, man, I can't believe that's in the Bible. I know, but that's real life. That's why it's in the Bible. Uh, God doesn't give us some sort of fairy tale. He gives us reality in the scope of things that we live in. And Scripture gives a solution to the brutal reality that we sometimes face in life. It just doesn't absolve us from it. And that's the beauty of the Scriptures and God. Jesus himself said, I believe it's John 14, maybe verse 26 or something. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. Well, what does he mean doesn't give as the world gives? We talked about this when we talked about joy. Um, the reality of it is, is, I could have a great spouse and a great, great kids and, and a great job and everything could be going well and have my health and my finances and all of that could bring joy into my life and God does certainly bless in those ways, uh, but we sometimes know they're just a phone call away. We wake up one morning and it's all great and by the time we come home that evening, everything's changed. And I was really hit with that hard this week, just a remembrance, a reminder uh, of how blessed I am and how much I appreciate that, but at the same time how 
as I know from Scripture, these things can radically change. See, that's how the world gives, uh, this circumstantial moments. And Jesus says, I don't give in that way. My my gifts are are permanent, they're perfect, they're they're excellent in every way. Nothing can take them from you. And and, um, if we're not careful, we allow all those other things, right, that are circumstantial to become our gods and, and miss the reality of the power that God actually has for our lives. Here's the thing. The gospel stands in the middle of this tension between the crib and the cross, so to speak. It's as if Jesus is like standing in the middle and, and his arms are stretched out. And on one end, as his arms being pulled, he's got a fairy tale over there to the right. And on the other end, you know, as his arms being pulled, he's got the, the, the anger of God's wrath. And there's this tension that Jesus balances there. And when we see it, when we get it, we recognize two things. One is we are more sinful than we ever thought we were. Yeah, you know, whenever I first accepted Christ as my Savior, I knew I needed something. I knew I needed someone. I knew something was wrong in my life. I knew something was broken. I just didn't really know how bad it was. And over the years, it hasn't that I've somehow figured out, oh, I've, I'm so much better. I, I'm, I've gotten better. I, certainly, I practice the presence of Christ in my life, but I just over the years, I realized just how bad I was just how bad I have the potential of being and how that brings chaos into the world that I live in, into my family or to friends or relationships or whatever it may be, right? And so on one hand, we're sitting there realizing how sinful we are and we never imagined we could be. But at the same time, this is the power of the gospel, we recognize we are more loved and we are more forgiven than we imagined possible. It's this beautiful paradox, a powerful paradox where the wrath of God for sin is satisfied by him crushing his son rather than you. But that's the story of the gospel. That's the story of balancing the tension between the crib and ultimately the cross, leaving us with the simple big idea that living between two worlds means we actively wait for the next world by sharing Jesus in the current one. This is what it means to hasten the day, speed the day, uh, living between these two worlds. We're actively waiting for the the coming of Jesus as we, and through how we share Jesus in the current one as well. Uh, The love that God provides uh, makes the future world possible, gives us hope and encouragement for it. And it's transforming and shaping and forming his church, which is every individual who professes their faith in Jesus Christ, to become the kind of people who express that love and how they live so that they're building the kingdom, they're building the church around them, sharing Jesus with everybody that they ultimately come in contact with. So with that in mind, let's look at some more of the verses here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's jump back to verses 8 through 9. Look at what it says. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Beautiful statement. 
And the problem with it is sometimes we, we get lost looking at the trees and we miss the forest when we see something like this. So many people are like, I don't understand this time continuum thing. How can it work like that for God? I mean, all we think about is time. And some of you have already thought, how long is he going to go today? You know what I'm saying? And we're thinking about what's coming later today. What day is it? How many more days before Christmas? And so on and so forth. To picture God in this way, it's hard for us to get our minds right around it. But to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter. That's not the biggest point of this text. The biggest point is God's love, his kindness, his desire for everyone. I love it when people want to say to me, how can God let people perish? How is that possible? I just come to this verse. It's not his desire. He wants everyone to be transformed. He wants everyone to live with him forever. That's what his desire for everyone, patiently waiting for them to come to a place of repentance. I think of something that C.S. Lewis wrote, and I think it's a good analogy perhaps. It's in Mere Christianity, and it's the obstinate tin soldier, and it's this idea that C.S. Lewis gives. It's a pretty powerful idea. He's talking about a kid with his toys, and you can envision this. Like when you were a kid, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but, you know, we wanted our toys to come to life, and we see kids pretend and play really well like that, right? Girls will gather around a table and set their, their dolls out, and they're having a conversation. You know what I'm talking about? Because those dolls are alive in their mind. And so for C.S. Lewis, it was a tin soldier for us in our day. It might be a plastic action figure, Spider-Man or something like that, right? You know, And, and if we could give it life, we'd love to do it, like in, in reality. And he gives this picture of that happening, but he says, but what if the tin soldier doesn't like it? He says, what if the tin soldier sees, well, you're changing my substance. You're changing my form. The tin soldier says, you're actually causing me to die. You're making life harder. It's not as fun. It's not as enjoyable. It's not what I was made for, as he goes on to give this analogy and idea. And he says, what would you do about that? You know, he says, I don't know what you would do about that, but we know what God did about that. He sent a son into the world, not as some powerful figure walking on the scene as an adult, but as an infant. Humble and small and so on and so forth. And, and think about it. I, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but I mean, at Jesus' home, I, I wonder if they had some sort of space where they marked off as he grew in age, you know, how, how tall he was. He reached a certain height. Jesus had a certain height. He had a certain hair color. He had a certain eye color. He lived among us. He had a family, and that family at one point rejected him in some ways. He had friends, one of which betrayed him, turned him over. He was brutally treated by the police. He was manhandled. He was executed as a terrorist by the government. And, and this is what he experienced, the chaos of the world for the salvation of it and, and to exchange it. And as we think about this, as we look at that, I mean, I don't know how we get our minds wrapped around that, but maybe if we envision ourselves coming into the world or swapping places with a slug and living life like that or a crab and living life like that, I mean, we could maybe start to get our minds wrapped around that. Uh, but look at what the Scripture goes on to say in verses 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything uh, done will, in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? And the answer is you ought to be live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. I love the statement. It's the day of the Lord, meaning it's his day. 
It's when he shows up. Nobody, people can, people can contest whatever they want to contest right now. People can deny whatever they want to deny right now. Uh, people can say, well, it's been thousands of years. He's not coming back. It's not going to happen. And they can say whatever they want to. On that day, nobody can say anything. It's his day. He returns, he shows up, and he's like, hey, listen, I've been king of the universe all these years, whether you knew it or not. Well, now it's declared for every eye to see, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess, because it is ultimately his day. Uh, We are directed to be people who live as though it is today, that it could happen in this moment, that it could happen tomorrow. And and we're supposed to hasten that day, which is the activity of uh, actively waiting Actively engaged. It's like when the apostles, after Jesus ascended, you know, they're standing around. I envision them standing there like, okay, well, maybe he'll be back at noon. You know, I don't know. But an angel had to come back down and say, hey, you guys got to get out of here. Get to work. Go actively wait. Hasten the day of his return. Speed it up in your engagement and your desire and your love and your active work for him building up his kingdom. Imagine this. You're shooting a movie. You're the star. Okay? This isn't hard, trust me. All right? I'll get you there. And for whatever reason, you know, every scene just doesn't come out right. Um, you watch it back on the screens and the monologues and the statements and the interactions. It's just not like, you know, it's not Oscar quality. And you're thinking, man, this is not going the way it should go. And, um, and sooner or later, the director just has an idea. It takes a co-star, or, you know, just a supporting role, and they put them in the lead role which is great because all of a sudden it starts popping. Everything's happening. The scenes are perfect. Everything's going wonderfully. But the problem is is you're no longer the star. And none of us like that because here's the reality of life. We're all the lead actor in our own movie. Every Sunday I showed up. I'm the lead role. You're all the supporting cast, right? And you see it from a totally different perspective. You see yourself as the lead role. You know, and here's the reality that we're seeing within this text and what we're being encouraged from Genesis to Revelation to recognize is when we allow Jesus to play the lead role, everything starts to pop. Everything starts to come together as it was designed to, as we would ultimately in the end desire it. And here's the thing. What you don't need in your life is a God uh, as director who puts you at the center, right? You don't need that. What you don't need is a God to be an agent for some sort of egotisticalism in your life, you know, as a, as a lead role. What you don't need is a God to be an uh, indulgent father to a spoiled child. None of these things are actions of love. Love is not allowing somebody to run a course that is not beneficial for them or good for them. We get this when we're trying to encourage and direct a preschooler in the right direction. Somehow we get older and we get so smart we forget that. And we don't realize that that also applies to me. And if I just allow and surrender to Jesus as a lead role in my life, things can be radically changed. Hastening the day of the Lord is looking forward to when the the lead actor shows up, and as a result, everything's set right. As a result, everything comes together. As a result, everything starts to pop and fits into place just as it should. Now think about that as we look at this verses 13 through 15. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. God promises it. 
where, where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. These words, make, bear in mind, they're not suggestions in the text. That's why they're highlighted. They're actually imperatives. They're commands. It's not like, hey, it would be a good idea if you make this an important. No, it is you better do it. It's a command. I think about it this way. Um, any of you have problems spending money? You don't like to do it, right? Like, you you on that same fence with me? Okay, somebody scratched your face, but I got one. Okay, we got one person. The rest of you, some of you, you're lying. You know what I'm talking about? I, I like. It's not that I'm cheap because I don't like cheap things. I like to invest in good, solid, quality things, right? But I just don't like to spend money, you know? Sometimes it's about, you know, the investment. Sometimes I got to do a year of research where I'm like, okay, yeah, that's worth investing in, right? I, listen, I was a kid on the corner store at Kennerly Road in Spring Park, Spring Glen Road uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. My dad gave me a quarter. I walk in there and get me a candy bar. And it all, without fail, it always went the same way. I'd have a Kit Kat in one hand, whatchamacallit in the other, and a quarter in my pocket, and I can't decide. I got three options. If I get the Kit Kat, I might be missing out on something. If I get the whatchamacallit, I might be missing out on something else. Maybe I just keep the quarter. That would be a good idea too, you know. And finally, it always ended in a countdown, five. Okay, and I have to pick one, run out, you know. Um, But what we're told here is there is something worth dramatically investing in, that you make it a priority, you accept it and support it as a command in your life to put something first and essential to make every effort at being a person who is godly, being a person who is holy. And this text says to make every effort so that you are blameless and spotless, and I I guarantee you that's going to discourage some people because you see blameless as perfect. That's not what the text says. We are blameless not because of how good we are, how good at being good we are. We are blameless because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And our faith in Jesus Christ can make us into people we never imagined possible that, you know, to be that person that we would desire to be. Blamelessness is imputed to us, is given over to us via our relationship with Jesus. Uh, this is what he does. This is what he promises. This is why we have so much hope. You know, as, as I get older and look back on my little bit younger version of myself and think, why was that guy such an idiot? Then I think, I'm glad I can be blameless before God, which gives me the kind of peace that only inspires me more towards holiness and, and to be spotless before God. And as we look at that, the verse that follows puts it in order. Being blameless is not the result of a perfect record. It's the result of God's love demonstrated in his perfect patience and his desire to see everyone saved. Listen, we know without a doubt everybody in this room has a different level of patience, right? None of us have the patience of God. Maybe some of us have the patience of Job. I'm not sure. Uh, but to think about his patience being so perfect. Some of us are like, listen, I want my life to be changed. I want it to be different. All right, I'm going to show up to church this Sunday, and next week everything's going to fall into place. 
I'm just thankful God's patience is greater than that. It's much more significant than that. Some of us may be sitting here and we've been debating with the idea of, do I actually want to do what the scriptures tell me to do and surrender my life to Jesus? Guess what? God is, he loves you and he's being patient with you. Some of us have made that decision, but we just sat idle with that, and we're just kind of somebody who goes through some religious motions. Guess what? God is patient with you, and and he loves you and desires to see you transformed and changed. Think about as we move on to verses 17 through 18, it says this, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard. Highlighted because it's not a suggestion so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawlessness and fall from your secure positions, but grow, highlighted again because it's an imperative, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Listen, just as Paul balanced this tension that we see within the Scriptures where we're saved by the grace of God through faith, um, and obviously that's going to transform you and change you in ways you never imagined over time, but yet it's not your performance that saves you. We see Peter uh, balancing that difficult tension there as well, which is such a beautiful and encouraging reality in life. I don't want to get into the issue of salvation and security of it. It's not good in a, in a setup where it's monologue. I just simply say this. Far too often, too many Christians, too many different sections of Christians, so to speak, argue over it because all of them are trying to put themselves in the role of God. At the end of the day, I can't decide who is saved and who is not saved. I can have confidence in what God's Word has told me. I can steer people in the direction of that confidence and encourage people to have hope in God based on how they trust in Him, put their faith in Him, through practicing and and studying and knowing His Word. And sometimes we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble because we jump into a pay scale that we're not not capable of managing and doing, and, and it's God's job and God's work. But I do see this within this text is what I can tell you it says here, is Peter says you need to be on your guard, and it's not a suggestion. Peter says that you need to grow. This is one of the ways that you stay on guard is to grow. And out as a result of that, it, it helps protect and encourage you. You know, in his first letter, Peter writes, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, in his first letter, chapter 5, I believe, verse 8, Peter warns us to be sober-minded, to be on the lookout, to be thoughtful and cautious because our enemy, the devil, roams around like a lion seeking to devour you. He warns us about that. And as I think about that in this context of this warning again, I'm thinking about of a, a man by the name of Peter Evershed. 59-year-old businessman from Africa was vacationing at a particular bush camp. It was in a place, uh, Monopole's Nature Reserve. Uh, this particular bush camp uh, kind of had their slogan and their focus on it was uh, somewhere you can go to get back to nature. And, and you know, it's a very romantic idea for us in the West. Like, going to go get back to nature, you know, and just experience some raw naturalism of the world, right? Well, Peter was showering underneath a tree. Pride of lions came in. He was not on his guard, not in the place he should be, and was attacked and killed as a result of that. Um, He failed to respect the reality that the chaotic world that we are in between these two advents is a difficult one. It's one that can 
seek us out to devour us as Peter tells us to guard ourselves. And he, guards our, he tells us to guard ourselves by growing. Let me ask you a question. Are you the same person you were a year ago? Do you look back on yourself 10 years ago and go, man, that person was stupid, but go, I'm still kind of the same guy today. I'm still making some of the same mistakes. I'm still in the same patterns. I'm still trusting in the same things. I, I haven't engaged with God's word in a way and engaged with God in prayer in a way that it can transform me. This is how we are encouraged to guard our hearts, our minds in Christ. Listen, how do we do this? How do we live out this life that we see painted for us here? One where we are hastening the day through actively waiting and sharing the love of God with everybody around us. And, and, and Peter, I think, really paints a picture for us in uh, the very beginning of this letter. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, His divine power has given you everything you need for a godly life through your knowledge of him who has called you by his own glory and goodness. A good friend of mine, spiritual mentor of mine as well, uh, used to have this verse pasted on his office wall. And he would look at it and he would think, today God has given me everything that I need. I have every resource available to me to do exactly what God has planned out for me this day. So how do we do this? One day at a time. We get up and we think, today the Lord can come back. Let me be about his work. Let me love people in such a way to build his kingdom by sharing his son with my world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would encourage us to treat every day in the way that we see this scripture, uh, knowing that you love us, patiently have worked through time to bring about an opportunity for us to be radically redeemed and restored in a relationship to you. We're thankful that you have every desire and every passion to see every one of us um, be drawn into you. Uh, Father, we pray that as you try to transform us from the flesh that we are to the spiritual creations that you would desire for us to be, that we don't see it as killing us or making life more difficult or making life more painful, but we see it as you trying to help us become exactly what you designed for us to be. Help us to lean into that. Help us to trust in it as we grow in your son Christ and as we share him as much as we can, looking forward to when he returns. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we